0: thank you for listening to the cross loganville podcast we will start our series resolve amen so we establish this a new year right and the question is what will 2022 end up looking like for us reality is we're going to experience some conflict and we're going to have some chaos and we'll have some celebrations along the way and we're going to laugh And we're going to cry, and we're going to hurt, and as the great theologian James Taylor once said, we'll see fire and rain, and we'll see sunny days we thought would never end. We're going to have peaks and valleys, and we're going to experience a lot of things throughout this year. But the deeper question for each and every one of us is going to be this, will I surrender? Will I experience deeper spiritual formation and growth in my life, and personally, what am I going to do to become more like Jesus? I mean, that's the aim and that's the goal and that's the resolve, right? So what are going to be the disciplines and what are going to be the habits? What am I going to incorporate into my life so that I grow spiritually and maybe put myself in a position where God can use me to impact the world in which I live? I I would pray that would be maybe something that you would entertain and contemplate as far as being a noble uh, aim or goal in your life. So what what is going to be my resolve? Here's, here's, Here's the word, resolve. A working definition for resolve is this. It is a firm decision with a fixed purpose. I'm going to make a firm decision. I'm going to stay with it, but I've got a fixed purpose. I know where I'm going. I've got preparation, but I know there's a destination in mind to where I am traveling. So If you start to write out what's, here's what I want to do. Every what you write down must be met with a strong why. This is why I'm doing it. Uh, If you only write down what's and you never uh, strengthen the resolve of your why, there's a good chance you're not going to stay with it very long. Even when you study scripture, we read through it and go, there's a lot of what's that God has given us in the word. God has given us the what of loving neighbor. God has given us the what of living a generous life, tithing plus. God has given us the what of studying scripture uh, so that we could grow and show ourselves approved. God has given us what's like turn uh, the other cheek when people dog us. All these what's are there, but then you've got to go, but why? If I'm going to practice that what Why would I do that? And the why is so that we would live a life that ultimately glorifies God, honors God, enjoys God. Why? Because God has given us the blueprint and manual for how we can strengthen and develop great relationship with him vertically and with others horizontally. So every what that we would incorporate has got to be met with a strong why. Proverbs 21.5. Good planning And hard work lead to prosperity. Now, just stop. Prosperity. I'm going to unpackage that. But hasty shortcuts and living a life of hurry leads to poverty. Uh, A person who sits down and has a good plan, who works hard, will experience prosperity. Prosperity means that they will put themselves in a position to experience advantages in life. But the person who takes shortcuts... And the person who's always in a hurry, trying to short-circuit the process and not do what God has said to honor him, is going to be at a disadvantage. So a lot of what we experience in life depends on us and the choices we make. Do you hear me? And so I believe God wants each and every one of us to put ourselves in a place where we can flourish and live a life with advantage instead of just living a life of disadvantage and poverty and being broke and just staying in the rut, right? So if, if, if we don't know what our purpose is and our why for being on the planet, then we're going to end up giving our time, money, energy, and attention to a lot of foolish chases. And you've got 10,080 minutes in a week, and what you do with those is crucial, it's like, what am I going to do with my time, my money, this energy, and the opportunities that God throws our way? If, if you're not careful, it's so easy to get caught up into these foolish chases that lead to destruction. And it's been said, if you aim at nothing, you're guaranteed to hit it every time. So you've got to figure out, what am I aiming at? What am I shooting at in life? What am I trying to become, if you will? And the quality of your life is going to be in direct proportion to your commitment to be all you can be and the best you can be for the glory of God, no matter what you're doing. The quality of your life today is in direct proportion to your commitment of whatever you're pursuing after. But if you're desiring to be all you can be and the best you can be for the glory of God, then watch what God can do in your life. Jesus made this observation, Sermon on the Mount. One of the most famous sermons Jesus preached, right? But Jesus makes this observation. I mean, I I think this is so fascinating. He goes, don't worry about tomorrow. But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, don't plan for tomorrow or don't think about tomorrow. And there's a lot of people that take that verse out of context and said, well, Jesus said don't worry about it. So if I'm not going to worry about it, I'm just going to. Eat, drink, and be merry, and just kind of chill and veg and go through life. He, he, he never implied that. Even all the proverbial statements that we would read talk about good planning and, and, and thinking ahead and having a strategy, if you will, in doing life for his glory. So we must get along with God, and it takes individual time to do this, and you're going to have to prioritize it and emphasize it, but you've got to get along with God and establish some spiritual goals. Some spiritual priorities. And and if you really wrote out right now uh, just what are your priorities in life, what would you write? And you can look at what are you giving your time and money to as an indicator of what you truly prioritize. And, And we give our time and money to a bunch of stupid stuff at times. A bunch of tiring stuff that really doesn't have any kingdom value whatsoever. Ever so, I would tell you this establishing spiritual goals, and I've seen this in my own life, it will allow you to move from living with remorse and regret to living a life of true life change that is sustainable, governed by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have spiritual goals and any spiritual direction, you're gonna have a lot of remorse and a lot of regret. And so, we'll get to December of 2022, and you go, Well, I just stayed stuck. But you don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to live Groundhog Day where you just do the same thing over and over and just go, I I didn't accomplish anything. And so this whole message is life coaching and to really encourage you to develop a spiritual formation plan for your life. If you talk to the guys right now, And there's so many people I could pick out in this body. But if you talk to the guys right now that are going through our radical mentoring uh, group that we've got going on. Michael, you're going through it. It's it's such a great time for you guys. Uh, John Mark is going through it. There's so many in this room, Uh, Brian, that you guys are going through it. And here's what I've heard repeatedly since we launched that back in August. Man, I'm experiencing so much change and so much growth in my life. These guys are reading a book a month. These guys are memorizing scripture, uh, multiple scripture every month. They're walking with other guys throughout the weeks, and and God is doing a work in them. Even my buddy Chris called this week, and he goes, man, I'm telling you right now, the book Man in the Mirror, I read that book probably 25, 30 years ago. He said, oh my God, this is one of the best reads that I put my teeth into in a while. Some of our guys read Bo's Cafe, and it rocked them, Drew. Others read Point Man by Steve Ferrar, and they're like, "Ah, oh, but these guys are memorizing Scripture." And they'll say, oh, "I got a plan. I, I've got like a growth plan and a strategy." One of our guys in our church is John, and John is involved in one of our groups. And John and his wife, Crystal, we love them, and God has been doing an amazing work in their life. But John came in about three or four weeks ago, and I saw him on a Wednesday night. And I said, how are you doing? He said, hey, man, I had to miss last week, but I was over in Mississippi. And I said, oh, oh, really? So what was going on? He goes, my cousin died. I said, I'm so sad to hear that. I'm so sorry to hear that. He goes, let me tell you something, brother. As a result of what God has been doing in my life and radical mentoring, he said, I spoke at that funeral. I'm like, you spoke at the." funeral? He goes, yes. He said, because of the confidence and courage that I have now in Christ, and his wife, Crystal, was telling me, she goes, when we got married and, and started doing life, he, was, he didn't want to talk about death or even have any conversation regarding death. He was 35 years old and had never been to a funeral in his life because he, he won't deal with it. And now the brother, because of Christ doing a work in his life, had the courage and confidence to speak into that gap. That's a huge growth stride, right? And and when you're growing and you've got a spiritual game plan and these attainable goals that you can reach, you go, great. Let me me give you a working definition of of a goal. And you can apply this spiritually, but a goal is a specific objective that you really want to accomplish. And and so when you start to set spiritual goals that are going to allow deeper spiritual formation to take place in your life, Guess what happens? It starts to develop discipline and character and integrity and things that really do matter, things that would last. And I think all of us would want to develop these spiritual objectives and goals to say, yes, I want to live with eternity as the backdrop. I want to live my life as if I'm preparing to be with the Father forever and ever. It's like, yes. So I would tell you, write down what your spiritual goals are. But then you got to write why beside it. Why? Why do I want to do this? The why is going to be your motivation. The why is going to be your fuel. It's going to be your resolve. And and, and it's going to help you. I've seen more guys, and I've seen more men fail over the years because of a lack of purpose than because of a lack of talent. I've seen guys that were very talented, and very gifted fail because they did not live with purpose or with being intentional. Come on. It's been said that when your giftedness takes you further, than your character can sustain you. Shipwrecks are bound to happen. And you look at it and you would say, what? Well, purpose arouses and awakens the talent that's inside of me. You can be talented, but if you don't know your why, you're going to tap out. And Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, he goes, we make it our aim and our goal and our purpose is to live in such a way that we're well-pleasing to him. That's our aim. That's what we're shooting at. It's like, man, that's a noble aim right there. Rick, we would encourage people like, man, that would be noble right there to do that. Like, if your aim is to be well-pleasing to the Lord, that's a good why. I mean, because when it's all said and done, he's the one we're going to stand before and give an account To one day, so like defining purposes, why I exist is blank, or why I'm on the planet is blank. What, what, why am I here? And so I started like thinking, like what and who do I want to become? Here's here's an example, example for you. But you've got to work this out. If not, you're going to just stay in the same, same, same rut and, and have the same habits and. You'll you'll go through this month, and we're not talking about resolutions here. We're not not talking about resoluting something that I hadn't done. We're talking about a resolved. We're talking about a fixed purpose inside, a firm decision inside. That's what we're talking about. So here here would be an example for me, and maybe for you. So 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 what 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 do you want to do? I I want to be an authentic disciple that honors God. Like that's that's a noble what? Why? Well, because I've been placed on the planet by God and the breath belongs to God. And the only reason he put man on the planet in the first place was to know him, walk with him, enjoy him, glorify him. So I want to be an authentic disciple that honors God because that's why I'm here. You'd go, that's a good why. Uh, Another one I wrote was, I want to be a husband that is loved and respected by my wife, Barb. You would go, that's a good what? Why? Because God has said she is a gift from God. And God has said that I'm to love her as Christ loves the church. And God says that I am to cherish her and treasure her and protect her as if she's the bride of Christ. I was like, that's a good why. You see the what has got to be met by why. I want to be a father that my kids and grandkids would want to imitate. Why? You wouldn't write that out. I want to be a leader that others want to follow. Why is it about me? No, it's for the glory of God. But Paul says, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. That would be, that's a good why. I want to be a friend that others trust. But every time you write out a what, you need to define it with why. Because the why is going to be the motivator that keeps you in the game. This is why I'm doing it. Eric Little, Chariots of Fire. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Why do you run? Because I feel his pleasure. That's why. I like to run, but why? So, I I would challenge you to ask this question right here. What one thing in my character would I like to see God change that would make me a better disciple, husband, daddy, friend, pastor, teacher, leader? If there was one thing Listen to me, boys. This is so crucial to develop these kind of thought processes even while you're in high school. I promise you, if there's one thing that God would want to change in my character that would make me a better, all this, what would it be? And I've told you in the past that the, the one thread that if you yanked it out of my garment that would cause my entire fabric to fall apart would be my study of the word, my memorization of word, my meditation on the word, if you took that one thing out of my life, I would fall apart. So if there's one thing you could take out of me that would cause me to unravel, what one thing is God wanting to do in you today, this week, this month, that would develop deeper Christ-centered character that would allow you to flourish as a disciple, husband, Dad, friend, leader, what would it be? And if you will ask the Holy Spirit to really pinpoint that and watch God start to develop that inside of you, see what happens. See how God uses you. Because I believe your responsibility and my responsibility is to maximize our time and our potential To do everything we can to bring honor and glory to God. And in doing so, you're going to find incredible enjoyment. So a fill in the blank would be this. The one thing I want most in life is blank. What would it be? The one thing you right now want most in life is what? Or if I could do anything with my life, it would be blank. What would it be? You're going to give one of two answers. You're going to give either an earthly answer or you're going to give a kingdom answer. Most people, pretty much every answer is going to fall underneath these two umbrellas. What do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? I just want to be happy. It's all about you. It's an earthly focused agenda. Or I just want to live a life that really honors and glorifies God. Something to that extent is going to be a kingdom focused answer. You're going to give one or two. So, if you start to look at your life and even look at lives throughout the pages of scripture. Let's say, let's look at the life of the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul when it came to knowing God or knowing Christ, he knew about him intellectually. He had this intellectual understanding. He had knowledge and he even had some understanding. He was brilliant, he was a scholar, he had all this training. But Paul met personally who he knew about historically and intellectually. And if you read Acts chapter 9, where he gets ambushed on the Damascus Road, and God totally shifts his purpose, his perspective, his why. He was on his way attacking Christians. Stephen has already been martyred. All this stuff has gone down. And Paul had a Holy Ghost experience with the risen Christ. And when this happened, there was a shift. I'm going to belittle and batter and beat up Christians. You read that and you go, what happened? What happened to you, Saul? You were an antagonist and now you're turned to an apologist. You were a persecutor and now you've turned to a proclamator. What you were against, you're now for. What happened? I met the risen Christ. And, and and the cool thing when you read Acts chapter 9, based on Southern culture, he doesn't say I walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, and got in a tank of water. He got ambushed by the Holy Spirit. He didn't just pray a prayer so he wouldn't go to hell. He had a A radical encounter where he surrendered to Christ shifted. You go, man, his purpose changed. It got redirected and redefined. And all my eggs are over here in this one basket through high school and even through college. And then I signed to play professionally in 1984 with the Astros, and all my eggs are in this basket right here. I'm going to be a Major League Baseball player, I'm going to pitch in the big leagues. And it was like, man, you're on the path to do that. And I'm out raising hell in October of 1985, and I'm drinking, and I'm partying, and I'm wasting away in Margaritaville. And all of a sudden, I'm on my way home that night, driving down the road, midnight plus, And I'm like, I can't live this way anymore. My life is miserable. I, I can't stay where I'm at. And I'm slamming this Budweiser down on the pavement, and something's got to give. And that next 24-hour period of my life, I got redirected and redefined. I surrendered to Christ. I got ambushed by the power of the gospel. Did you walk in a house? Did you pray a prayer? I'm not saying it's wrong, but you've got to meet the risen Christ. And when that happens, boom. And, and, And when you read this, it's like, Paul, what happened? Bam! This light from heaven. I met Christ. It wasn't about church. It wasn't about man. I met Christ. I met Jesus. Philippians 3, Paul would say this, hey, if anyone has a mind to put confidence, confidence in the flesh, I do. Anybody want to brag about uh, man-made accolades and human accomplishments or trophies that man applaud, man, I've got a portfolio full. I got them. But listen to what he says. I was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the tribe of Benjamin, from the nation of Israel. I, I, I got that one? A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. You want to talk about all this stuff that man applauds and man elevates and man says, Oh, are you the man, Paul? Listen to what he says. But. But, but whatever, whatever things were gained to me, whatever things were ascribed to me as being worth something, I consider those things as rubbish, as loss, as dung heap is the word that is used in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. All that stuff that man said, that's it's nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. Christ. So what are you saying, Paul? What's your testimony? Oh, my testimony would be this. Who I used to be was not enough. Something was missing. And a person that ever truly violently repents and surrenders to Christ will look you dead in your eyes and say, here is my conclusion the thrill of the chase of all this stuff out there, I came to the realization something is missing and that is not enough. So what's enough? To know Christ and him crucified. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You would go, that's where you landed? That's where I landed. And I would be like, Paul, that is such a cool purpose statement. That to live is Christ. That to die is gain. That all this earthly stuff, It's rubbish. I'd be like, that's a cool purpose statement. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? So when you have the right purpose, you can say something like this. I know that God allows certain things to happen to to me in order that spiritual growth can happen in me so that eternal things can happen through me. Stop. Stop. I know that God allows certain things to happen to me. He's crucifying my flesh. He's causing all these small deaths to take place so that Christ can ultimately come alive. God, I know you allow certain things to happen to me so that spiritual growth and spiritual formation will happen in me so that eternal Things for your glory will happen through me. You want God to do something through you? You better be open to him doing something to you, and then you've got to let him do something in you. And there's a lot of people that are saying, man, I just want God to use me. Well, if God's going to use you, there's a good chance he's going to abuse you (laughs) and crucify your flesh. You believe that? I do. Does it, does it have to happen? Yes. Even Paul goes, man, I got this thorn in the flesh, and I kept praying, God, please take whatever this ailment. My grace is sufficient, man. I'm going to keep you with this divine handicap so that you don't boast and you stay humble so that I can use you. So here, here's the truth. When you start to know your purpose in life, it will determine how you handle problems. It will determine how you make decisions. And it will determine how you deal with other people. (laughs) When you've got a Christ-centered perspective, it determines how you deal with problems, make decisions, and deal with others. So how do you handle problems? And problems are a gift from God because they expose us in this world. You're going to have conflict and confusion. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 12. He goes, I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. <laughs> Do what? You're in a, a Roman jail cell. You're in this damp dungeon, this sewage-infested rats running around, and you're gonna write, you're gonna write this from that jail cell to the believers in Philippi and go, guess what? <laughs> my circumstances are turning out for the greater progress of the gospel. So you were in tough accommodations. Oh, it was, it's was not good. You were chained up next to this stinking jailer dude. Yes! But it was okay. Because my circumstances don't make me. They just reveal me. And I'm okay with going through trauma and trials because it exposes where my faith is. You see, back in 1988, okay, so... I'm going in for my third arm surgery, and I'm going to have my shoulder redone. Labrum, I had a spur on the head of the rotator, and it was creating a lot of pain. Okay, it was two elbow surgeries, but now this one's going to be kind of a, a, an 18-month after-surgery rehab to try to get it back to where I could throw again. Just, just, it is what it is. So the week before I was to go into surgery, I... Said okay. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to just read Philippians morning and night, four little chapters. I want you to read Philippians every morning and every night. I said, Okay, because again, I knew Paul had this perspective of joy going through adversity. So every morning, read it every night, read it. I fly to LA, the Dodgers team doctor is out there, and uh, I, I, I gotta have surgery, and, and so. A couple days after I have this surgery, and I'm in this brace for like three weeks, but I'm reading morning and night. Well, a couple days post-stop, I'm, I'm, I'm reading through Philippians again, and I highlighted verse 12 of chapter 1. And I'm just laying there going, all right, Lord, I'm going to believe that you're going to allow these circumstances to turn out for the greater progress of the gospel Not for the greater progress of Tim, not so that Tim can bank and make more money in the future, not so that Tim is applauded, but I'm, I'm really believing that you're going to use this, these circumstances for the greater progress of the gospel. Okay. So that that's two days post-stop. Now back up the day before I had surgery, catch a cab from the hotel, driving over, get out of the car. I grab my bag. I'm going into Sentinel Hospital. And uh, Sentinel Hospital is where Dr. Frank Job was going to do my surgery. Grab my bag, make it over to the, the doors. The door is open. I go over. I hit this elevator. And, and some of you have heard me share about this lady, but here, here's the story. So I hit the, 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 the button for the elevator, and this lady, black lady, probably in her late 60s, walks over. And I said, hey, good morning. She goes, good morning to you, young man. She goes, how are you doing? And I said, I'm doing good. She said, if you're doing good, what are you doing here? I said, well, I play baseball, and I hurt my shoulder, and I've got to have surgery. She goes, hmm. So the elevator opens. I reach down. I put my bag in, and she happens to position herself between me and the buttons. And she hits a button, and I'm like, well, she hit a button. We'll just see where this goes. So I put my bag down, and she looks at me, and she said, my name's uh, Jolly. What's your name? I said, hey, Jolly, my name's Tim Cash. She goes, Cash, do you believe in God? I said, yes, ma'am, I do believe in the Lord. I just surrendered a few years ago to Christ. She said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up Cash. This woman starts praying over me. Mom and dad are down in Noonan. all my family's in Georgia. I'm in L.A., Los Angeles, not lower Alabama, on the other side of the country. And this sister starts praying over me. Ding. elevator opens, grabbed my bag. I'm like, I got to get out and talk to Jolly some more. This is cool. So I get out and started talking to Jolly. She continued to pray. I'm like, this is cool. She said, when are you having surgery, Cash? I said, I got to have surgery tomorrow morning. They say I'm seven o'clock first, first one out. She goes, I'll be praying for you, Cash. I said, yes, ma'am. Thank you, Jolly. So going to have surgery and all the anesthesia and all this stuff. And they were cutting bones and all this stuff. And, and I was really, really nauseous and sick. And I was in a bigger bed, you know, not just a little bitty hospital bed. It was a wider bed. So anyway, I'm, I'm laying in this bed. I've been back from post-op about two hours. And just this nauseous feeling is going all inside of me. And I just feel like, I just feel terrible. About two hours, I'm laying there. I'm like, come in thinking it's a nurse, and I look over, and I'm like, Jolly. She goes, Cash. And Jolly doesn't come over and stand at the foot of the bed, and Jolly doesn't come over and just kind of stand at the side. Jolly sits on the bed right next to me. She starts rubbing my my left hand was out. This one's in a sling, and she goes, Cash, I've been praying for you. I said, Come on, Jolly. She goes, Cash, you really do love Jesus, don't you? And I said, I do, but I want to know the Lord, Jolly. She goes, Cash, I couldn't sleep. God's got a plan. God's got a call on your life to take the gospel, Cash, all over the place. I couldn't sleep last night, Cash. God's got a call on your life. And I'm like, she prayed over me again, left me a card, and I talked to her every day. I was in California. She would call me, Cash, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. Cash, God has got a call on your life. And while I'm reading through Philippians, that's where I underline that. After surgery and after the encounter with Jolly, God goes, believe what I've sent my messenger to tell you, your circumstances are going to turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. And I stayed in contact with that lady until she died. I'm like, wouldn't you, after God, send somebody like her into your life? Her son called me, and she said, he said, Cash, this is so-and-so. I'm Jolly's son. I'm like, oh, mom is with the Lord. I said, brother, I can tell you one thing. When I met her, she was with the Lord. She just in a different location because that woman was walking with Jesus. She goes, he said, she prayed for you. But I looked at that, and I'm like, if we're not careful, we empower our circumstances. Sometimes we start to look at it, and we start to like resent them or regret them. And and it's like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm going through this. And it may be that God is teeing you up to do something to you, in you, so that he can do something through you. And if we're not careful, we short-circuit it. Right? It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm out. So here's another one, how you make decisions. Paul would even say, I'm not going to read it all, but starting in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed. I want to be with Jesus. I know God has me here with you. I'm hard-pressed, and I'm longing just to be with the Lord, but I know for your benefit, staying here is probably the better thing. He's over here struggling through a decision, right? Lord, I just want to be with you. You've shown me so much. I just want to be in your presence. And, and, and I've had my lunch handed to me. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been mistreated. And he goes, but I know being with you guys is more advantageous. And I think a lot of times when it comes to decisions, we look at what's more advantageous for me. What is going to put me in the most, uh, the most convenient, comfortable place where I will be, be okay? And God goes, Trey, I, I'm going to have to disrupt some things to get you over here where you're uncomfortable, where I can do something in you and through you, man. If, if you stay in your comfort zone, I'm never going to grow you. And so I think a lot of times we make decisions based on what eliminates the most obstacles or adversity. And God goes, how's that, how, how's that working for you in your growth? How do you grow? You go through adversity. And adversity is almost the fertilizer that God uses to bring about deeper faith and maturation in our life. So we want God to pour fertilizer on our life, but we run from, instead of walk into, with the Lord's help, adversity. God goes, walk with me. And if you're ever going to be used by God, it's going to have to be a selfless approach. Again, what happens to you is inferior of what happens in you. Circumstances will never make you. They will only reveal you, but circumstances might make you or break you if your dependence is on yourself. There was a guy by the name of Herodotus, a Greek historian, and he makes makes this observation. He said, the greatest sorrow a man could know is to aspire to do much and achieve little. Not so the greatest sorrow a man can know is to aspire to do much and do it only to realize it wasn't worth doing. And I think a lot of times we sit there and go, "Hey, I aspired to do it, but I didn't do it, but was it worth even doing in the first place, and where we give our time and where we give our money and where we give our energy is so crucial, and then you've got to ask the question. How do I deal with other people? Even Paul would say, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Verses 27, 28, he goes, hey, stand firm, one spirit, one mind, striving together, and the gospel, whatever happens. And and you can can get to know so much about an individual with how they respond when tension comes their way. And it's like, ah, could you believe they did that? I'm like, yes. Yes. We're all jacked up, but we get exposed, and it's okay. But how do you respond to others? Are you too sensitive? Are you praise-driven? Do you only gravitate toward people that applaud you? Or people that criticize you, do you run from it? I mean, there's people in this room that go, man, I love you, Cash. And there's other people go, I don't like that dude. Is that not the truth? I mean, I tolerate him, but I don't like him. And that's the way it is in life. But if you're, only, if you're only motivated by praise, you will always be deflated by criticism. And it's like, all right, cool. I'm glad, you know, appreciate you sharing your heart. Here it is. Define your purpose. Develop your purpose. Live out your purpose. I'm going to break it down and close here. And this close, when I say close, Don, I mean I've got about 18 more minutes left. I ain't close to being done. I just mean... We're over the top of the mountain now. So here's what I want you to do. Seriously, I want you to write down your purpose of life. you got to do this. Why do I exist? Write it out. The chief end of man is to know God, enjoy God, and glorify God. I would take just the fundamental purpose statement of the catechism even there. The Presbyterians, man, they got it right here. The chief end of man is to know God, enjoy God, and glorify God. Piper, I think, even quoted Jonathan Edwards when he said, God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied with him. But I would take that and write out a paragraph purpose statement of why you exist. You've got to do that. I exist to blank. Then, as you write out your purpose statement, I would encourage you to write out what is your personal mission in life. We've got a mission statement of the church. We've got a vision statement. But it's like, what is your personal mission as an individual. This is, this is just simplifying it by saying, here's what I believe God wants me to be doing, okay? So if I had to write it out, I would go, what does God want me to be doing? He wants me to worship him with all my heart, everything I've got. Worship is a, what he wants me to be doing, to give him ultimate uh, praise and glory for whatever is happening, okay? What does God want me to be doing? He wants me to walk with him daily, he, he, Paul's favorite metaphor says, walk in the spirit, just walk. So we're talking about walking. We're not talking about running. We're going to run the race, but we're going to walk with the Lord in a manner that's pleasing to him. He'd go, that's a good what? Then, then, then I would say, uh, he wants me to work alongside him as he gives me certain assignments to say, Hey, why don't you walk over here and join me with what I'm doing here? I'd go, okay. That, that was part of the personal mission. He wants me to witness to others about how good and glorious he is. So one of the privileges we have is to share with others the goodness of God. And then he wants me to live out my faith with my family and friends and within church. Just just go live out who you are. You go, that's part of the personal mission. And then he wants me to be faithful and loving and giving and serving. And so I write this stuff out and I want you to hear me. Please take time to do this. But what I just shared with you right here in regards to personal mission, it has nothing to do with my vocation, with my position, with anything. It has nothing to do with me being pastor. It has everything to do. Everything I wrote out are things that I feel like God wants you to be about as a child of God. That's how we become a a disciple. So we're going to worship, we're going to walk, we're going to witness, we're going to work alongside, all this stuff. You can go, okay, those are noble things to do. Then I spend time working out what are the points of action that I will personally take. How do I plan to accomplish what I believe is my personal mission, etc. So I'm going to do this by seeking a love relationship with God daily. So if I call him through scripture, I was like, all right, what does God want you to do, Tim, in seeking his love relationship with him? He, he wants me to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what he tells me in John 4. He wants me to study the word so that I can show myself approved to him, 2 Timothy 2. You You'd go, that would be noble. Uh, he, he wants me to be a man of fervent prayer, pray without ceasing in all things. I mean, he tells us, uh, don't worry, but, but pray. It'd be like, Okay. And then I would say, he wants me to obey him by living holy before him every day. Just obey me. When I tell you to do something, just do it. Even though it might not make sense and it might contradict your natural processing, do it. Go, okay? So that's some ways I'm going to seek a love relationship with God. I'm going to spend time in the word. I'm going to spend time in worship. Uh, I'm, I'm going to spend time in communion with God. Then... I would go down and say, uh, another way to live this thing out for me is to embrace my wife and my children and my grandchildren. Family is a gift from God. So, Tim, I want you to love Barb as Christ loves the church. I want you to be willing to die for her. I I want you to cherish her. I want you to take care of her. I I want you to make sure that you care more about her than you do yourself. Okay? If you're going to take care of your own body, she is more valuable in this covenant. Take care of her. Like, okay, okay. Then train up your children and your grandchildren in the way they should go and be that model that they would want to imitate. That's going to be one of the things that you do. Now, again, as they get older, the playpen has increased, right? I mean, it starts off in a Graco and now they're all over the place. And, And so. You still have an opportunity to speak life into them, but they're adults now, so you parent a little different. But even with those grandkids, hey, breathe life into them, right? That would, be, that would just be right to do with your family. Because Paul would even say, if you can't manage your own household, how are you going to try to manage God's church? Love your wife and, and shepherd your kids. Okay, that, that would be good. I want to be a faithful member of the body of Christ. Okay, so, so I'm walking with God and I'm taking care of my family. Now I'm a part of the collective body of Christ. How are you going to do that? Uh, well, I'm told to consider others as more important than myself. That's what Philippians 2 says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, humility, regard others. Uh, like, okay, so, so what else? Well, I'm going to be ready to share uh, the, the hope that I have within me. You're going to do that? Yeah, that, that's part of being a faithful member, of, of reaching out to other people, locally, nationally, globally. What else? I'm going to give all I have to as worship before God. So whether it's time, talents, treasures, resources, what, it doesn't matter. This is my worship unto the Lord. Uh, I'm going to live one day at a time. That would honor God. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Redeem each day. I would, that's what I wrote down. I'm like, that, that honors God. Uh, I'm going to encourage and pray for others. That would be praying for my family and then praying for the staff here and praying for our elders and praying for s- certain needs in the body. Uh, we anointed with oil one of our sisters this morning that is dealing with major physical issues, and it's like, okay, pray for them. All right? How, how is she going to live it out? I'm going to view my friends as a gift from God. This is important, Spencer. So I look and go, he's part of the body, but they're my friends. So Trey and Don, we've known each other for 30 years or whatever it's been. And uh, I've got other friends in here. So how, how do you do that? I'm going to encourage and we're going to try to equip each other. And we're going to be there for each other and through the highs and lows. We're, we're going to pick each other up. That would be an honorable thing before the Lord to live out your personal mission. And then I, I, want, to be a, I want to seek to be a good listener because people want to share their hearts. And they're not coming to Rabbi Tim for them uh, to get fixed. And so they just, say, hey, hey, I just want to process some stuff. You got it. Let's talk through this together because we're in this thing together, right? That would be a good thing to do. And then praying for people immediately when they said, hey, man, I need prayer. Well, just stop and pray right now. So the, the, those would be things that would be good. And then I wrote down, like, what, what is your, part of your personal mission and what, what's your points of action? Please listen to me. I want to glorify God with the ministry of the Cross, Loganville here. And our mission is all about trying to connect you with Christ and others, connecting your story so that you're fully alive, vertically and horizontally. It would be, that that That's good. How are you going to do that? We're going to reach the lost, and we're going to teach intentionally and strategically, and we're going to train people up and see people sent out, so we reach, teach, train and send. You go, that, that's good. And, and, and we're, going to, we're going to know who you are, and we're going to love, and we're going to give, and we're going to serve collectively. That's the only way this body works, right? I'm not up here, and everybody else is down. We're all level playing field. I'm just one brother in the body with you. It's like that's what we're trying to accomplish. So our whole vision is just to be a Bible-based community of intimate followers, seeing you connected to Christ and others, and we believe that you're going to flourish by by being a part of Sunday worship and being a part of small groups and by practicing stewardship and by serving and by sharing your story. It's like, is that, is that going to make a person come alive? That's going to really help them flourish. Do you believe that? that that's what we believe. So now I close, Don. Define, develop, and live out your purpose. Do it. It amazes me that in our culture we work so hard at trying to manage the perception that others have of us instead of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit with continued revelation and inspiration that God gives that would cause us to explode. Explode. We live in this culture where it's like i got to manage how others perceive me or view me. Stop it. Write out your purpose. Write out your personal mission. Write out the points of action. Every message that we share is going to build off of where we've started here today. If you will do this, I promise you, it will start to change you.